Hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Hope you're having a good day today. Uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us. And if you've never subscribed before, go ahead and do that so that you can get regular updates whenever we have a podcast. Uh, also, if you would like to give to the work of Life Church, uh, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org/give, and on that page, you're going to see all the ways in which your giving makes an impact, uh, as well as directions for how you can give. And uh, we appreciate your generosity for those of you who have uh, continued to be consistent, to be steadfast, um, and to be generous with uh, your finances to make sure that um, you provide for for the work that God is doing in the kingdom. Uh, specifically in Life Church. Uh, we are in a series called Galatians. We've been in a series uh, on Galatians for quite a while. And we are now turning to part three, which is the final part, final section of this series. And uh, you're going to hear from Pastor John Grandy, our discipleship pastor. And he is taking us into Galatians chapter five, uh, which is going to get to the parts about freedom and shame. And uh, he uses some imagery on stage and on the on the screens. Um, so if you do get a chance and you want to watch watch it back instead of just listening, you can do that. Uh, but for now, enjoy this sermon from Pastor John. There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And that power leads to our freedom. That's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to each of you joining us in the room online. Or if you're listening later on the podcast, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the discipleship pastor, and I also get the privilege of overseeing our young adult ministry and our men's ministry. And in all of these opportunities, I get to lead people that I love and help them follow, imitate, and become like Jesus. That's our goal, right? That's what we want to do when we come together as the body of Christ. And it's so awesome to be on this journey with each and every one of you as we pursue Jesus together. It's been a powerful series in Galatians, hasn't it? One person, yeah, all right, come on, it's been really good, it's been powerful. This is week, or part three that we're starting today because we have a corner to turn in this book. We've been talking about this rhythm of promise, law, and fulfillment, and it's so powerful when you can go into every verse, every chapter and verse of the book and kind of mine the riches and the gold that we find in God's word the truth that transforms us. The truth is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and he reveals himself through his word. And we're, we're turning a corner now to talk about the fulfillment of the promise. But before that, we had to talk about what is this promise, the law that protected the promise, and the fulfillment of it. The promise was to Abraham that God would bless him and his family and that they would be a blessing and they would bring restoration to the rest of the world. The law protected that promise until it could be fulfilled. And that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. The ultimate fulfillment of it is freedom in Christ. And that's what Paul is really wanting them to get. He wants them to stop going back to the law because they're not there anymore. They're in freedom. And that's where we're going to pick up in Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to talk about verses 1 through 12 today. So let's start in that chapter. It is for freedom that Christ sets us free. Amen? Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, Paul says, I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ 
will be of no value to you at all. That's pretty strong. Remember earlier in Galatians when we were talking about how Paul felt like he had labor pains for the Galatians? Well, now it's moved to his back, and he's got some back labor, okay? Because they just won't leave this law alone, and he keeps being agonized by it, trying to get them to, to see the truth, to receive it, to live in it. He keeps telling them throughout the whole letter that the law doesn't apply to them anymore because they are free in Christ, but they keep going back to it. Have you asked yourself why? I mean, 2,000 years later is where we are right now, but back then, they kept getting caught up in it. Why did they keep going back to the law when they had freedom in Christ? It doesn't make sense to us because freedom is so good. Maybe it's a habit or all they know, or maybe they're just rule followers. Do I have any rule followers in the room? Come on, you can admit it. The rules help us know we're safe, right? Like we're in the boundaries. We know where we should be and where we shouldn't. It feels safe. Why do you think they kept going back to the law? The Judaizers. These religious, legalistic believers who kept telling them that their faith and freedom in Christ was not good enough. And they kept shaming them. They kept telling them that they weren't good enough. Why do you think they had such a strong effect on these, on these Galatians? I mean, how could they swerve them away from the truth so quickly after Paul had been there and revealed the gospel and freedom in Christ to them? What was it that allowed them to deceive these Galatians so easily? It was shame. Shame made them feel like their faith in Christ was not good enough. Like a bully in school, shame pushes people down, calls them names, steals their lunch, tells them that they're a failure, that they're unworthy of love, that they're small, that they're disqualified, and they can never measure up. They will never be accepted by God. I think we know what this feels like, don't we? Because shame whispers behind the scenes of our lives every day. When's the last time you heard the voice of shame? This morning. That's in my notes, Sean. How'd you know that? Or was it last night? Or was it last week, right? It is. It's every day. It's behind the scenes. Our enemy Satan loves to whisper shame to us all the time. In fact, we can even whisper it to ourselves, right? Like sometimes we're the worst at it. We believe it and then we speak it to ourselves. And it's so disarming. Shame whispers, you don't measure up. You can't defeat that secret sin. There's something wrong with you. You are a failure. There's no hope for you. You are unworthy of love and acceptance. You aren't good enough for God. You have to earn God's favor and acceptance. Shame is damaging, isn't it? It's exactly what makes Paul's blood boil. He knows how disastrous and dangerous this is, that the Judaizers are telling them it, Satan's telling them it. In fact, they think Satan uses fear and shame as two of his greatest tactics to push us down and bully us, and we even do it to ourselves. And Paul is fed up with it. It's like it's time to be done with the shame, but he's got to dig a little bit deeper because they're not quite done with it. Paul says the shame is dangerous because it enslaves them in the law. It causes them to go to the law. But honestly, though, this seems like a big jump. I mean, how could the law, which, remember, was given to us by God in the Old Testament, lead us to slavery? That seems like a bait and switch by God, doesn't it? Follow these laws, but, oh, sorry, they're going to lead you into slavery. 
Shouldn't that be good for us? I mean, shouldn't we follow the laws that God has given us? What's so bad about the law? What's wrong with picking and choosing some rules to add to our faith? Those of you rule followers, you're like, yeah, come on. Like, I can have faith, but what's wrong with a couple rules added on top to kind of keep me in line, right? I mean, can you imagine a country without any laws? People would be running stop signs, going whatever speed limit they want to, taking stuff from stores, you know, just causing destruction and damage everywhere. It doesn't matter where they go. We would cause damage and destruction without law. People would run the streets in chaos. Don't we need the law to protect us, to create boundaries around our freedom so we don't slide into sin? Isn't complete freedom dangerous? And have you heard that voice in the back of your head? Like, I want freedom in Christ, but I don't know if I can trust it because what if I use it to sin? What if I use it to go in the wrong direction? Like, it seems too good to be true. And so we use the law, kind of put some boundaries around our freedom. The law feels easier, safer, more predictable, and less risky than freedom, doesn't it? I mean, how else can we know if we measure up or doing, if we're doing good or not, if we didn't have a law to measure us? It's easier to rely on the law than it is to trust freedom in Christ. It's easier to rely on the law and the rules to measure up than it is to trust in the freedom that Christ has given us. How about this? Is it possible that we have had more of a relationship with the law than we've had a relationship with Jesus? That's tough. Do we focus more on what we can do for God, how we need to do this or that or get rid of this or that in order for God to accept us, or do we focus on Jesus, who is the one we are in relationship with? Do we focus on the law or on Jesus? These relationships are in complete opposition to one another. In in fact, in verse 2, Paul says, if we rely on on the law, then Christ is of no value to us at all. No value. We've cut ourselves off from Christ, he says. So what happens when we trust the law more than we trust freedom in Christ? In verses 3 to 4, Paul describes the fatal law of following, the fatal flaw in following the law. It's hard to say. Say that five times fast. Let's continue reading Galatians 5 in verses 3 and 4. He says, Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. See this progression? You go to the law, it disconnects you from Christ. You've been alienated, now you've fallen away from grace. Christ is over here, we're over here, trying to follow the law without him. Paul is saying if you want to live by the law, you can't just follow part of it. And that, the example in this book is circumcision. That's just one example, but that's how they kept going to the law to try to prove that they were good enough to God. You can't just take one law. You have to follow all of it. You can't just follow one rule. You have to follow all of them. Do you know how many there are? 613 laws. Good luck with that, right? I don't know about you, but I can barely follow six laws, let alone 613 No one can do that. No one can measure up to that except for one man, Jesus Christ. He's the only one who could follow the law, follow it perfectly. And he had to do it for us because we could never do it ourselves. We could never measure up. 
One scholar said it like this, Christ, by his circumcision, undertook to obey all the law and fulfill all righteousness for us. Anyone, therefore, that seeks to fulfill the law for himself in any degree severs himself from the grace which flows from Christ's fulfillment of it and becomes a debtor to do the whole law. With the law, it's all or nothing. You can't pick and choose your favorite ones. You've got to either do all of them or none of them. You have to choose either the law or Christ. You can't have both. Shame is created by law that cuts us off from Christ. The law tells us that we can't measure up and it cuts us off from Christ. See, Jesus completed the law. When he said, it is finished on the cross, he said, I am fulfilling and satisfying every one of these 613 laws. I am fulfilling it. I'm satisfying it. And he took his last breath and died and took the law to his grave and buried it there. And when he resurrected from that grave, he left the law there and resurrected us into his freedom. Amen? That's what he did with the law. But we try to fix our shame by digging up the law out of Christ's grave. We try to fix our shame by undoing the work that Jesus did on the cross. Let me show you what this looks like. This might look like a cute wheelbarrow, but it's actually the grave of Christ. That's what I want you to picture when you see this. See, we go to, the, to Christ's grave, and we try to tell him that what he did is not good enough. So for me, it looks like perfectionism. I know that Christ fulfilled all of those 613 laws. I know that he was perfect in every way, but I still go to him and say, that's not quite good enough. I need to be perfect. I need to do everything right. I can never get a B. Bs feel like E's to me, seriously, because they're not good enough. Perfectionists can, I see some hands going up. You know what that feels like, right? In fact, I'm a little bit freaked out right now because my notes are right there, all right? And I'm away from my notes, and I'm just talking to you from my heart, and I'm afraid that I'm going to say something that I didn't put in those notes. I'm not going to say it perfectly. In fact, on Wednesday when we went through this message like we do every week with the team, Nathan told me, John, if you deliver this message perfectly on Sunday, you will have failed. (laughs) Amen, right? Thank God. That's hard, but that's true. Because I'm in danger of destroying the message if I get in the way. If we tell Christ that his perfection is not good enough, then we're saying, I'd rather be God instead of letting you be God. I have to be perfect and dig perfection out of his grave. For me, it also looks like performance. I want to be the best. I want to be number one and get first place all the time. I was graduated valedictorian in my class in college. And I don't tell you that to brag. I tell you that because that shows you how much I have to perform. I have to measure up. And what I'm doing is I'm saying, Christ, your performance, what you did, all that you did for me is not good enough. I have to perform to be accepted. What do you dig out of Christ's grave? What does that look like for you? Maybe it's control. Maybe you control your relationships because you're desperately afraid of being alone. So you've got to control them and make sure they fit within your box. Make sure you can tell when they leave you, so you cut it off before they can. And we step into control. Maybe for you, it's acceptance. 
Christ's acceptance of you is not good enough. You need to make sure you're accepted by everyone else before you will accept yourself. Or what if it's achievement? I've got to make that salary. I've got to get that project done. I've got to keep going and doing. I can never rest because I have to achieve or else I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I've got to accomplish. My identity is defined by what I do, not who I am, not who Christ says I am. We go to Jesus' grave and dig the law back out and think that we know better. Jesus' sacrifice is not enough. Jesus' perfection is not enough. We have to add to it. And when we do this, friends, not only is it bad for all the reasons we just said, but we're actually spitting on the grave of Christ when we do this. Spitting on the work of Christ. Did you know you can, have, you can get a felony for desecrating a grave? When we do this to Christ, we're desecrating the grave and the work of Christ. By saying that the law works better than he does for us. We say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me, but I don't really need you because I've kind of got this on my own. Thanks for doing that, but I'm going to keep you at a distance because it's too uncomfortable to have you close to reveal things. I'd rather do this and figure it out on my own. And this creates a shame cycle, doesn't it? Because in our shame, we go to the law to try to fix that shame. Our shame says the law can fix us, but what happens is the law doesn't fix us. As Paul says, it actually enslaves us. It cuts us off from Christ, and it just heaps on more shame. So it's not just one scoop of dirt, it's ten. The law just keeps heaping that shame on top of us to prove to us that we're not good enough. For me... Perfectionism and performance team up to put a lot of pressure on me. And that's hard to live under. Can you relate? Right? We feel this pressure. We put this pressure on ourselves. We let other people put it on us, and we put it on other people as well. Because shame doesn't just infect us or affect us. It infects others. It's, this isn't just about us. This is what we do to others. We're going to skip verses 5 and 6 for now because we have to keep going in this. We have to keep drilling into shame to get to the bottom of it before we can move on into what God wants for us and what Paul wants for us. So we'll come back to 5 and 6 at the end. We'll continue in verses 7 through 12 to see how shame infects others. It doesn't just affect us. Galatians 5, 7 through 12. Paul says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through a whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is trying to throw you into confusion, whoever they may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That is what you think it is. All right? We'll come back to that in a little bit. Friends, the Judaizers are back. But this time, they're even more aggressive. Paul uses the imagery of the Galatians running a race and say the Judaizers cut in on that race of freedom and take them back to the law. 
It's like they're at a fork in the road, and one side is freedom, the other side is the law. They chose freedom. They're running on that path, but the Judaizers come over and cut in on them and swerve them back over to the path of the law, and they're enslaved again. This reminds me of a story from eighth grade gym class. Anyone else have stories from middle school gym class? I had this ripped gym teacher, and he thought it was a good idea to create this five-minute mile challenge. I think he was a little bit of an adolescent himself still, but he said that if you could run a mile in under six minutes, then you'll get your name on this big board, the five-minute mile club. And I, I being a perfectionist and a performer, guess what I said? I'm going to do it. I can do this. I can beat this, this five-minute mile. And so the race is off, and we're running, and I feel good. I have a good pace. I feel regulated. I'm, I'm tra- trucking along, and I'm first in the class as we go through this race. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I get around the last corner of the race, and all of a sudden, Forrest Gump comes from behind me and cuts in on me and leaves me in his dust. And I try to match his pace, try to kind of catch up to him, but I'm just winded, and I cannot do it. And I cross that finish line, and I look over, at the clock, and it says 5.59, not kidding you, I, I beat it by one second, I joined the five-minute mile club, I did it, except I couldn't celebrate it, why? Someone beat me, and that's all I could focus on, I couldn't celebrate my freedom, my victory, I couldn't win this race, because all I was focused on, on the person who beat me in the race, When we first become Christians, we run after Christ's freedom with joy and confidence. We are so in love with God that nothing can stop us until we mess up. And the Judaizers cut back in to our race and remind us that we don't measure up. They distract us from our victory in Christ. They whisper, I knew this wouldn't last. You haven't changed at all. You're still the same person you used to be. We forget who we are and live from our old identity again. We return to the law. Now, I was thinking, who are the Judaizers today, right? Because they're still around. They're still saying things to us, except I don't really like that term Judaizer. Like, I can't relate to it. We need a new name for them. I think we should name them the shame slingers. How about you? The shame slingers, because all they're doing is slinging shame at the Galatians, telling them how they don't measure up, telling them how they need the law because Christ is not enough, and they're just throwing shame left and right like that shame bully, bullying them, telling them, pushing them down. How do you know if you have a shame slinger in your life? They remind you of your old life. They hold the law over you, pointing out every mistake you make. They treat you like a slave to sin instead of an heir to Christ. There's a big difference. Satan is the ultimate shame slinger. He's the father of lies, as scripture says, the accuser, the deceiver, and he loves to use the law to sling his shame, to show us how we don't measure up. Shame slingers spread gossip about you. In fact, they did it to Paul. In verse 10, he talks about one of the Judaizers who is gossiping about him. Until this point, he talks about them as a group. Now he talks about one specific person. He doesn't name them, but he says the effect that this person has. And this person is saying, oh, Paul still believes in the law. He still teaches circumcision. Don't let him fool you. He still does that. That's gossip. You know what gossip is? 
It's saying the truth about something to the wrong person. And so if this person had a question with Paul's ministry, he should have gone to Paul and talked to him himself instead of spreading gossip about him. Shame slingers make you feel like you aren't good enough. No matter what you do, you can't measure up to their standard of perfection because they get to define what that standard is because they're the best. They get to define that and then make you look bad because you can't reach that standard. In fact, in verse 12, Paul gets so mad at them for putting these unrealistic standards on these people, them returning to the law, that he says, if you're going to be that uh, aggressive about the law, then why don't you not just get circumcised, but go ahead and, and cut the whole thing off, right? That's what he's saying. Go back and look at it. If you want to hold them to these standards, you got to hold yourself to it. And he's angry with them. He's frustrated. Question, do you know a shame slinger? Are you a shame slinger? How to deal with shame slingers in our lives because we all have them. Have an honest conversation. Let them know how they've hurt you. But be careful, don't sling shame back at them. Use I statements. I felt shame when you pointed out that flaw in front of these people. I felt shame when you did that. Be honest with them. Create boundaries. Sometimes you need to distance yourself from a shame slinger to create health in that relationship, to protect yourself from them. That's not mean. That is healthy. That is necessary to protect your health. We have to create boundaries. Stay anchored in your identity in Christ. The truth is there will always be shame slingers. We can't get rid of them. They will always be there. But if you stay anchored and rooted in who you are in Christ as an heir of the kingdom of God, then you will safeguard your freedom and shame-proof yourself. Amen. Your identity in Christ is the ultimate way to disarm shame and to live in freedom. If you are a shame slinger, first of all, thank you for having the courage to admit it. Because the truth is, we all are a shame slinger at some point in our lives. We've all fallen for that trap at one point or another. Repent to God for spitting on the work of Christ. Repent to Him for going back to His grave and digging it up depending on the law, because that's what shame slingers do. Wholeheartedly apologize to those you have slung shame upon. That is hard to say. Say that five times fast, right? Uh, some of us need to apologize to someone in this church. In fact, you might need to act on that right now. You need to send a text message or make a phone call or talk to someone before you leave the building. Do it. Because this isn't just about making that relationship right. This is about getting right with God. We do not want to sling shame on others. And when we realize we do, there's no shame in that if we will take responsibility and own up to it and have an honest conversation with someone. All right, it's time to move on from shame. Have you had enough or do you want me to keep going? <laughs> we had to deal with this though. We had to dig up the shame to make space for what's coming next, friends, because it is so, so good. It is so good. Galatians 5, 5 through 6. For though the Spirit, through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ, 
Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith. It's expressing itself through love. In Christ, the law has no value any longer. It's time to move on from it. It's time to stop digging the law out of Jesus' grave. In fact, is Jesus still in the grave? No. No. Then why are we playing around in it? Right? Jesus is over here. He's looking at, he's resurrected. He's full of freedom and transformation. He has conquered the grave and he's looking back at us saying, why are you still playing around in that grave? I'm not in it anymore. And you need to come out and join me in my freedom. Why wouldn't you choose my freedom? Let me show you how to live like this. And so we need to step away from that grave. Because Christ tells us that shame is no longer the voice that dominates your life. The shame bully is defeated. I conquered it on the grave and I buried it in my grave. And do not resurrect it. Step into my freedom. Stop listening to the voices that tell you you're not good enough. Stop listening to the perfection voice that says you have to be perfect. You have to perform. You have to achieve. You have to be accepted because you already are. Christ has said you are good enough under his blood that he is making you his sons and daughters and teaching you how to live like he lives. Those words don't define you anymore. Let's leave them in the grave. Amen? Amen. The end of verse 6 says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith and freedom are not expressed by following the law. They're expressed through love. In Matthew 22, Jesus distilled all 613 commands of the law down to two. Tell you what, if you're the one who can perfectly fulfill all 613 laws, you can do whatever you want with it, right? And he says, I'm going to make this easy for you because I've already fulfilled it for you. You can stop trying. Here's what you need to do. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others, love yourself. That is the path of freedom. We don't need the law if we can do those things. And all of it hinges on love. See, when we love like this, friends, we become freedom fighters instead of shame slingers. Jesus transforms us. He shows us a new way to live. A freedom fighter fights to keep others on the path of freedom instead of swerving back into shame. Instead of reminding people who they were before Christ and throwing their old identity back on them, they step into a new identity and encourage them to live for Christ, to live in who Christ says they are. A freedom fighter is an iron friend who sharpens and encourages others with loving accountability. See, this isn't about ignoring the truth. It's about speaking the truth in love, not with shame. Not condemning, but encouraging. Spurring people on, helping them grow in their spiritual gifts, helping them realize who God says they are and stepping into their potential, growing in maturity in Christ. That's what a freedom fighter helps others do. Freedom fighters love others sacrificially. 
The original word for love in verse 6 is agape, sacrificial love. In John 15, 13, Jesus says agape is the greatest form of love. Greater, form has, greater love has no one than this, than he who lays down his life for his friends. Jesus says this is the greatest form of love, sacrifice. And that's what freedom fighters do, sacrifice for others. I want to tell you a story about a freedom fighter. There's this six-year-old girl who was dying of leukemia. She desperately needed a blood transfusion. She just needed a pint of blood, but she had a rare blood type, and it was hard to find a match. They discovered that maybe her eight-year-old brother would be a match for her blood type and could donate his blood to her. And so they approached the boy and said, would you be willing to give your blood for your sister? And he thought about it, said, I don't know. I'm going to need some time. Can I tell you in the morning? I think about this. Isn't that cute? I mean, he, all he needs is to give a pint of blood to his sister, but he's got to really think about it. He's got to see if he's willing to get a needle stuck in his arm. You know, it's, he's an eight-year-old boy. He's scared. He doesn't know what to think. And so he thinks about it. He's probably up all night making this decision. And he comes to his parents the next day and says, yeah, I'll donate my blood to her. And so they set up the IVs, and as his blood is flowing into hers, he's silent. He's sitting there waiting. And the doctor thinks that there's something wrong, so he comes up to the boy and says, is everything okay? And he says, how long until I die? See, we just thought, amen, we just thought he was giving a pint of blood, but this kid thought he was giving all of his blood to his sister, and he was willing to give it to her. There was a deeper love flowing through the veins of this little boy than we realized, because he was willing to sacrifice his life for her. He said yes to her. Do you know who else said yes to giving his blood for you? He didn't just give a pint. Jesus Christ spilled all of his blood for you and for me. He said, I'm willing to sacrifice my life for your freedom. I'm willing to sacrifice it all to pay the price that you couldn't pay so that you could enjoy the freedom of living with me and my Father in this way of life and transformation. Jesus Christ gave his blood for us. And when we become a freedom fighter, we're willing to sacrifice for others. We receive this freedom from him and we live in it for the sake of others. We become a freedom fighter when we lose sleep at night to care for our children. When we cancel our plans to spend time with the friend who is hurting. When we stand up for the kid who gets bullied at school. When we choose to be faithful to our spouse even when no one is looking. When we pursue God's calling instead of riches. When we stand up for the rights of those who have a different skin color than we do. And when we choose to live in Christ's freedom instead of going back to the law, we get to become a freedom fighter too. Question for you. Who is God calling you to love sacrificially? Don't try to walk in freedom alone. Freedom requires community. Because in godly community, we sacrifice for others and they sacrifice for us. What a powerful community 
a life of sacrifice that defines that community and needs are met and people are taken care of and people are set free from their shame. As we close, have some action steps for you to live as a freedom fighter, to become a freedom fighter. The first thing is attend the men's and women's events that are coming up at the end of July. This is an opportunity for, to experience the power of connection, to experience this kind of sacrificial community where we gather to encourage each other. It's been a long and lonely year as we fought through this pandemic and we need to come back together and experience community. So the men, yeah, amen. The men have an event on July 25th next week right after church. We'll have some great food, conversation, the cornhole tournament. We're gonna have some fun. We invite you to come on out. And the women have an event on July 21st uh, at 7 p.m. There's fellowship and dessert outside in the pavilion. Specifically, we want to send out the invitation to those of you who are new or exploring the church. We want you to find community to feel like you belong. And that's why we do these events. These are much more than an event on the night. Our goal is to get you into community consistently, to be a part of a, a life group, to be a part of a disciple group. In fact, there are three mentors right now that have signed up for our men's ministry who are looking to disciple someone. If you need to be discipled, come to this event and we will give you a mentor. How awesome is that? Someone who can walk with you, who can be a freedom fighter for you. But what's even better, when we come into community, we get to be a freedom fighter for someone else. And there is nothing greater than that, to fight for someone else's freedom. Amen? The second thing you can do is commit to discipleship. I was just talking about mentors and disciples, and these are people who team up to follow, imitate, and become like Jesus, to sharpen one another, to help each other become like Christ. That's what discipleship is about. And our worship leader, David Booth, this week helped me realize something about my gym class story that I never realized before. Because when I was running that race and the shame slinger cut in front of me, he wasn't actually a shame slinger, was he? He was a freedom fighter. Remember, I only beat the thing by one second, okay? If he didn't push me, if he didn't challenge me to match his pace, I would not have reached my goal. And we need people in our lives who will be like that. They got to get up in, into our stuff and tell us what we need to fix in love. They need to encourage us and sharpen us and love us sacrificially. That's what discipleship is about. It might feel like they're getting on our case, but the goal is to be a freedom fighter for us, to help us finish the race and accomplish our goal. I want to pray for you as we close today. Some of you in the room feel like some conviction to recommit to Christ, to freedom in Christ. You've realized how you've gone back to the law to try to prove that you're good enough for God. And we need to repent for digging stuff up from Christ's grave. Whatever you identified today that you go back to his grave and try to dig up, for me it's perfection and performance. What is it for you? Bring that to him in prayer right now and repent for going back to his grave. Some of you don't know Christ, but you definitely know shame and you're tired of living under the weight of shame. Let's pray right now. God, thank you for my friends who are ready to recommit to you, who are ready to own where they are and step away from the law, step away from shame, from the ways that we have tried to dig up the law from your grave. 
God, we repent. We ask for your forgiveness. We thank you for your freedom. And all we have to do is let go of it. There's no performing that we need to do right now. We just have to let go and receive your freedom, your forgiveness. And I pray for my friends as they receive that right now. And Lord, there's some of us who feel the heavy weight and the burden of shame. We've been carrying it around for far too long and we're exhausted. And the truth is the only one who can free us from shame is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who could bear the weight of that shame and bury it in his grave. And he gives you that invitation. Will you accept my freedom that only I can give you? And if that's you, just say, Jesus, I surrender my shame. I give up this heavy weight and I receive your freedom. I want you to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to be the leader of my life and learn how to walk in this freedom that you promised for me. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Well, thank you again for listening to this message. And um, if you're experiencing some freedom from your shame and experiencing wholeness and wellness because of what God is doing through his spirit, uh, we would love to know about that. Would you do us a favor and fill out our Connect card? You can go to lifechurchcanton.org slash now, and toward the top end of that page, there's a button there that says Connect Card. Click on that, fill out a little bit of information about yourself, and then we would love to follow up with you and just walk through um, your journey with you and, and help guide you in that process of experiencing freedom. Um, also, on that Now page, if you scroll down, there's uh, different ways that you can get connected, different events and things that you can be a part of, groups that you can join so that you can experiencing, uh, experience belonging and get connected with other folks as well. Uh, have a great rest of your day. We'll see you back here real soon.